Welcome to episode 78 of the AAEM RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. This episode is a recording of a live webinar that took place on October 26, 2020. In this episode, Lauren Lamparder, AEM RSA Medical Student Council President, interviews Dr. Michael Gottlieb, Director of the Emergency Ultrasound Division, Program Director for the Clinical Ultrasound Fellowship at Rush University Medical Center and AAEM Emergency Ultrasound Section Council Chair. Dr. Philip Dixon, Associate Professor for the Department of Emergency Medicine at Ohio State University and YPS Director for the AAEM Board of Directors. Dr. Andrew Phillips, Clinical Assistant Professor at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and AAEM Critical Care Medicine Section Council Chair. And Dr. Zara Ghazi Askar, Clinical Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine and Pediatrics at Stanford Medicine. Today, AAEM members discuss subspecialties in emergency medicine. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren. Um, I'm the RSA Medical Student Council President. I'm a current fourth-year medical student at Loyola in Chicago. And we're here again with another Ask Me Anything session um, on emergency medicine topics. And so the topic tonight is um, Ask Me Anything About EM Subspecialties. And so we have two awesome physicians here who have done fellowships and things, and we have um, potentially a couple other panelists joining us as well who might jump in. Um, but for now, doctors, could you please just introduce yourself, tell us where you, where you did your training um, and where you did your fellowship and what you're doing now. All right, I can go first. So okay. my name is Mike Gottlieb. I uh, did my residency training at Cook County in Chicago. I then did my uh, Ultrasound Fellowship at the Cook County Rush Combined Program, where I then stepped in as the Ultrasound Division Director, and I'm currently the Ultrasound Division Director and Ultrasound Fellowship Director at Rush in Chicago. And I'm Phil Dixon. Um, I did my training, uh, residency training at uh, University of Mississippi. Uh, I then did an admin fellowship at Ohio State University. Uh, I've stayed on as faculty for a couple of years now. I'm the Assistant Medical Director of our um, university hospital. Um, I also am the director of a physician advising group, which we essentially kind of look at some billing and coding, that type of stuff. Um, and we kind of help the hospital kind of negotiate some uh, billing issues with insurance companies, that type of thing. So um, kind of like a couple hats that I wear there, but. Very cool, yeah. There's different fellowships that can open so many different doors to different opportunities in emergency medicine. So since these uh, podcasts are geared toward medical students, one of the questions that we always ask our panelists is, uh, how did you come to choose emergency medicine? So there might be people who are still working on deciding and now are even thinking further than emergency, but how did you decide first off on emergency medicine? So for me, I went into most of medical school thinking I was going to be a surgeon. And I went through first year, second year. You know, I loved anatomy. I loved dissecting. I loved the kind of the thought of it. And then after, you know, third year, I started to do all these different rotations. I was like, oh, I kind of like this. And I kind of like that. And I kept pulling things away that I kind of liked. But I was like, I can't see myself doing any of them. Like the internal medicine, I like the thought process and trying, you know, dissecting it out. But I was like, I cannot round that long. I will go insane. And then I, I liked, you know, I would go through, we went through uh, OBGYN. And I was like, this is really interesting. There's the procedural aspects of it. And there's kind of seeing the whole person, but I was like, it's not the right fit for me. And then I was like, okay, but it's okay. Cause I'm going to be a surgeon. So I went to surgery 
my rotation at the end because in my mindset, I figured, well, I'm going to pick the, the rotation at the end of the end so I can do really well on this because what I want to do with my life. And then I did surgery and I was like, oh, I, I don't like this. Like that, in that way, it just wasn't the right fit for me. I just sat there I was like, this doesn't, this, this is not what I'm looking to do. And so I had this kind of like scary moment at the end of my third year, like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. When I was a student, it was, they did not have a uh, required EM uh, rotation. So I just kind of checked out EM, EM emergency medicine because it was one of the few options I had left where I was like, well, I tried all these things. It wasn't the right fit for me. And I went to EM, I was like, yes, this is it. From that day, I think one or day two of the rotation, I was like, this is awesome. I love this. All the different things I liked of it. You have a little bit of adrenaline boost and you get to think about things right from the start. And immediately, I was just like, this this is what I'm gonna do with my life. And then I, you know, I did my second rotation. I, it held true. I was, I never felt like that with any other rotations. And then from there, thankfully, you know, I matched into a great program and I've loved it ever since. Yeah, I actually have a somewhat similar uh, story. I went to med school thinking I would uh, be a surgeon as well, either, I was thinking either orthopedics or, you know, kind of general surgery and then subspecialized from there. Um, and similar in the fact that, I mean, I kind of liked, you know, a few things from each kind of subspecialty, um, you know, I, I knew I didn't really want to round and I, I guess I just never had the, um, you know, necess- patience or something for that. I just didn't really enjoy it. Um, and then when I did my surgery rotation, I found like, I didn't really like the OR all that much. I didn't like just standing there. I actually found that I liked being on my feet and doing things and kind of it, the way I kind of saw med school was kind of, you had your medicine wing and your surgery right, wing. And this was like, a, for me, emergency medicine was a really nice blend where I felt like I could do procedures, be on my feet, uh, but also have, you know, you know, aspects of medicine where, you know, it's, I'm kind of seeing these undifferentiated patients at a, you know, each patient was almost like a little puzzle and I had to kind of figure things out and, you know, order tests and kind of, uh, kind of comprehend, you know, what test results and, and, you know, ultimately disposition the patient. So, um, you know, in the end, kind of similar thing where, you know, going into med school, I didn't really even think of emergency medicine, but the more I, I went into it, the more, you know, I really loved, uh, you know, working down in the department. And, um, you know, one thing I usually tell med students, I, I would say the good parts of it is, you know, it's largely shift work. Like I have my schedule two months in advance. I know when I come in the hospital, I know when I leave, um, I'm not called in the middle of the night to do surgeries. You kind of like, you know, it's kind of nice knowing when you come in, you know, and when you leave, I think it's a gratifying uh, specialty. I mean, you really help people on their worst day. So there's a lot of good things about it. There's a few negatives, but I think by and large, I think most emergency medicine people that I've known are, are very happy doing it, so. Thank you both. Hi, Dr. Phillips, welcome. Um, what we- Hi. Thank you for your patience, sorry. I, oh, no worries I, at all. I can, I can tell patients no more turkey sandwiches, but when my four-year-old asks for one more nighttime song, I, I'm a softy. <laughs> No worries at all. What we asked um, of our panelists was just kind of where did you train um, and what is your subspecialty and then how did you get into emergency medicine? Sure. So I did med school at the University of Chicago and I did residency and fellowship at Stanford. And I had figured from the beginning, oh, my, my subspecialty is critical care. And uh, I, that was not, that was not a plan at all um, until I was in residency. And I had been considering emergency medicine actually since high school when I volunteered. I really liked it. There was a lot of variety. So things were interesting. 
and um, similar to, to my colleagues, I was thinking either emergency medicine or trauma surgery. And you, you know, there's always in, in every med school class that, that one person who just always seems to accidentally touch the sterile field, that was me. So, you know, I, life has its different cues and uh, I just wasn't, that wasn't my, my bag. I didn't mean to, but it got to the point of the scrub nurse was the, the little plastic covers that go on the lights. Yeah. He or she would always pull an extra two or three whenever I walked through the room. So, you know, uh, you learn life's callings. And then critical care was um, uh, on the IC rotations. I thought I liked it because everyone at EM likes critical care. And then I found myself missing the ICU and the ED. So, Awesome. Thank you. Um, I like that you said you didn't know that you wanted to do a fellowship until residency because I feel like yeah. often fellowships are kind of like this other vague thing that we're like, oh, we've worked so hard to train for residency. Like, will we do more years? I don't know. So um, talk a little bit about how each of you came to desiring a fellowship, what that path was for you to decide to pursue a fellowship. Did you know from before residency or not? And actually real quick before we do that. Hi, Dr. Escar. Hi, I'm sorry, you won't believe this. I'm in Northern California and my power is out and that's why my hair looks like this and I wish I could just go off video. So I'm gonna have to use a portable power charger. So I'm in my yard kind of talking to you and I'm sorry. Yeah, um, you're welcome I'm, to go off video if you prefer to. I'm no worries. Yeah, no that would be great. At least I don't have to worry about my hair sticking up. All right. <laughs> anyway, I'm Marjan. I'm happy to introduce myself. I'll uh, circle back. If you need anything, let me know and I'll uh, contribute. Just tell us real quick before, where did you do your training and what fellowship did you do? Yeah, so um, I'm, uh, my name is Marjan Ghazi Asghar. I'm at Stanford. I'm a pediatric emergency physician, and I did uh, three years of uh, pediatric residency, followed by three years of pediatric EM fellowship, and then I did a uh, point-of-care ultrasound fellowship. Mm -hmm. And um, all of my training, except for my um, ultrasound fellowship, was in New York, and um, I'm now here at Stanford, and uh, that's my story. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome. All right. So Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. So we'll open up back to starting with Dr. Gottlieb. Yeah, I, I think uh, going into it, I, I didn't, much like med school, I didn't think I was going to go into ultrasound. I kind of went into this, I actually went into residency with this idea of like, I just want to be a community doctor. That's all I want to do. I don't want to do academics. I don't want to do research. I just want to do community. And then I, you know, kind of realized that I really like the academic piece of it. And I kind of, at that point was like, I'm okay with research. I want to do academics. I like the teaching piece of it. And that grew on me pretty much pretty quickly into there. And I started to like develop in there. I was like, okay, so now I like this. I kind of like research. And I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. I was like, do I do a medical education fellowship? Do I do a research fellowship? Do I just continue to practice? Um, and then during second year, we have a lot, we had a lot more ultrasound. So I started to do ultrasound. I was like, oh, this is really fun. I like the procedural aspect of it. And I'm a proceduralist. Like this is something I really like doing. So like having my hands on things, maybe it's the vestige of like, surgery without surgeries, I get like to actually do things. And so I kind of realized that I like that ability to do things with ultrasound and started, as I started to look more into it, it kind of started to marry the concepts like, okay, so if I do an ultrasound fellowship, I can do a lot of teaching because there's so many opportunities for like lecturing, for hands-on bedside teaching, for, you know, workshops. I can keep these kind of practical skills. So I'm still scanning and doing this piece of it. And there's like a wealth of research that can be done in the field just because it's a relatively newer specialty. Um, so it allowed me to kind of do all the things I wanted to do 
in a way that I also took the second back and I said, okay, all these things are my kind of career pathway, but it also just allows me to be a better doctor because I can now scan way better. I can, you know, incorporate these skills into my practice. So it kind of hit all the things I was looking for in a way that I didn't anticipate in the beginning. I, I had no intention of going that way. And then when I tried it, I was like, yes, this is awesome. This is what I want to do. Um, I guess I'll go next. Um, so I, I didn't know that I want to do a fellowship either. Uh, starting residency, I was kind of just trying to, you know, be a, as good a resident as I could and not get in trouble or anything, you know. So I think early on in residency, I was kind of just really purely focused on the clinical part. Um, I'd done some research as a med student, and I knew kind of research certainly was not going to be my pathway. Um, and then kind of as I got, a, you know, kind of got farther along our third and fourth year, uh, I ended up being one of our one of uh, my residency uh, chiefs in my fourth year. So I took on some admin responsibilities from that, um, you know, and I had actually also done some community moonlighting. So I got a kind of chance to see what community practice would be like. And uh, while, I, you know, I loved, you know, the community practice that I did, I did prefer the academic part because of the teaching and just kind of being at, you know, the kind of tertiary care center, a lot of times where you could kind of uh, handle things and you're not transferring out and that type of stuff. So, um, you know, once I kind of got a taste of the, the admin piece, you know, I, that, that I, I really loved. I mean, I really loved, uh, again, you know, kind of similar to just being an ED doc, you're kind of trying to triage you know, issues when you're an admin person, you're trying to, you know, fix operational challenges. So kind of each day kind of comes a, a different puzzle where you're, you're trying to fix things. Obviously, you know, you always have boarding issues or this issue, that issue, and you're just trying to, you know, uh, try to, you know, triage problems that come up and then uh, kind of deal with them, in, you know, in a, in a an efficient way. But it, I think actually being an ED doc is, is good for being an admin person because you've, you've got a good sense of kind of how to, to triage pro problems appropriately and then how to address things kind of one by one in a, in kind of like a streamlined manner. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, I, I really kind of love the, the admin part and, you know, being that I wanted to be an academic, so I was kind of thinking to myself, well, what would be the, the best way to get into an admin role in academics? And that kind of included a fellowship. A lot of the fellowships that I looked at, some were one year, um, and usually kind of you got, a um, you know, to, to work in the admin, uh, kind of part of a department and then some were two year with an MBA. And I kind of wanted, you know, I don't know whether it was right or not. I, I don't know what's kind of quote right or wrong or, you know, whatever, but I kind of wanted the MBA just, you know, I felt like a degree would be something that I'd always have with me and something that I could kind of take anywhere and always have. So uh, my MBA uh, was two years and included a, uh, or sorry, my uh, fellowship was two years and included the MBA. Um, so that's kind of how I, I decided uh, on doing that. And, uh, you know, honestly, I mean, I would highly recommend an MBA. I mean, you don't need to do a fellowship with that. I mean, obviously, it's something you could kind of either do on your own or in conjunction with your department. But, um, you know, it's, it gives you a lot of, of training that we don't get as docs in terms of like business sense, that type of thing. So um, I found it incredibly valuable. And it's um, kind of helped my career in the early run. We'll see how things go. But, uh, but yeah, that's uh, so you're going to hear a theme here, uh, and, and I, I think the theme is, uh, I, sounds like uh, you guys, uh, Mike and Phil, will agree with this, but kind of roll with it, right? Like, you don't have to know that you're going to want that. And I'll say that, that you already heard that I didn't know I was doing the fellowship until 
So when I was in the ED, I, I found myself following up on the ICU patients and, and walking up to the ICU just to see what was going on. You, you gotta, you gotta want it. It's a long time. It's um, an expensive decision, right? Because your earning potential for those two years is very different. We're assuming you're doing a two-year fellowship. And um, it has to be something, or I would offer to you, make it something that you feel like you're, you're missing. And it's, I, my decision, a lot of people will ask me, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I'll do a critical care fellowship um, so I can be a better ED doc. And, it, and that's you know, a nice idea, but I would encourage you to do an, if you're going to do an ICU fellowship, do an ICU fellowship to be an ICU doctor. Uh, and, and I, I imagine that, um, that, you know, the other side of what you've been hearing so far is, is getting that, that extra fellowship to, to do something within special in that area. And, and the quick corollary that I wanted to make was I have a master's in education as well. And I did not know that I was going to do that. Similarly, I was going to the whole time just be a community, no, sorry, not just, my plan was to be a community doc and, and, and that's a great place to be a great thing to do i had no interest in research I, in a former life i was a junior high teacher and first year of med school uh, the radiology uh, faculty said he was doing this little research thing on how he was teaching whatever and i was like oh i used to teach okay sure and next thing you know uh, i'm alongside mike as a decision editor for west gem right so like you never know what's going to take your 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 route um just kind of Keep your eyes. I say yes. I know there's a lot of like learn to say no and all that, but early on, I'm so glad that that I crammed things. And I still am, obviously, because I'm running from bedtime to, to hang out with you guys. But um, say yes, and if you like it, run with it. Um, try it. So for me, honestly, um, pediatrics was always a thing I knew I'm going to go into. There was never, ever any doubt that I don't want to take care of older uh, population very early on. And I don't really know why my dad is a pediatrician. He's now in his late 80s. But I think that's someone I looked up to. So I knew I wanted to be a pediatrician. And um, honestly, I skipped all of my, um, my rotations um, and I got caught in my third year um, you know, of the, of the residency, because I didn't do any uh, NICU, anything at all. I did all emergency medicine. <laughs> and um, basically my, uh, my director said, you know, I know what you're up to. So I got stuck with doing like almost four months of NICU in my senior, believe it or not. And the person that changed with me was, um, is now the director of um, the NICU in Arizona. But um, I just gravitated towards the ER. I love the organized, um, chaos. I love it. I love the, uh, all the reasons we all love about the ER. And to be honest with you, I just felt like in pediatrics and in even in, in PEM, we never got any ultrasound training. And I was working with some phenomenal people uh, here in the Bay Area from uh, Alameda County Highland. And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to be your attending, I should probably know how to look at an IVC. And so after about um, 14 years in practice, I went back and I did a, um, a fellowship in ultrasound at Highland. And I, I've never been happier. This was absolutely what I needed to do. And really, if I did it after 14 years, um, I completely echo that you need to love it and you need to want it because of the earning potentials, all of that stuff um, that it's been mentioned. But I think you have to want it um, to really do it and to, to keep doing it. 
um, those are my two cents of about doing fellowships in general. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Uh, so what is the process of when when do you apply? How do you get into one? Is there like a standardized timeline kind of like residency where you kind of need certain things on your application? What does that look like? So I can speak to ultrasound and then every specialty is a little bit different. Um, for ultrasound, there is now standardized timelines of when things open um, and they're published well in advance. I think at this stage, it's just figuring out what you want to do with your life, if you like it or not. And, you know, I think uh, Andrea, a good point of just saying yes and trialing things out and just seeing if it's something that's interesting to you. Um, one of the things we, we look for when we're looking for ultrasound fellowship candidates, which understandably is downstream, is that they've actually tried it out. They've done things in ultrasound. I don't really care so much if they published, you know, one paper, 10 papers or no papers, but I would like to see if they've done something in ultrasound, even if it's, you know, uh, written for, for example, like one of the you know, like ASAP or AEM type journals, whether they, you know, done ultrasound related teaching activity, something that shows they've considered it and they trialed it out before they're trying the fellowship, just to see it, because I want it to be something they're interested in. Um, there was a time, maybe a decade ago, that people were going to ultrasound fellowships from EM because they weren't getting enough, you know, ultrasound specific training. And now it's built so much into our training, you know, for residency that our fellows aren't coming to ultrasound fellowship, you know, right now for additional training, they're coming to ultrasound fellowship because they want to become ultrasound leaders, whether it be an education research or something else, it's beyond just getting really good at ultrasound and it's often the additional pieces of it. So I think just experimenting and seeing um, to the point that a lot of people have echoed now, something you love, that's something you love and you want to do. Uh, I would just say for me, I think um, about a year, year and a half before I graduated. So about, I would say um, kind of fall of my third year, I started to look, um, you know, and some of the, uh, especially for admin, it was a little hard because, you know, it's not to your point, it's not like, you know, residency where there's a very organized match and everything. It was a little bit more kind of had to do the work in terms of researching programs, that type of thing. Um, and you know, I would just say, I mean, if it's at least for, um, you know, admin, I mean, I think if it's something you're, you're interested in, um, you know, I would, you know, let people know as, as early as you can, um, you know, you could kind of reach out with emails, that type of thing. And um, I interviewed primarily, um, you know, I would say, kind of going into, I would say, so like my fourth year, um, kind of August, September, so almost like a, almost about a year prior to graduation, something like that, and then kind of going into the fall and then have gotten an offer, I think uh, sometime October, November, something like that. But, you know, I, I think probably each is, is uh, different. And, you know, I would just, like I said, for at least my, um, my fellowship, it, it did require a little bit of of research in terms of just kind of going online and trying to find programs and emailing them and asking about application dates, that type of thing, because there really wasn't any, anything necessarily standardized um, because it was all, um, you know, it's not an ACGME fellowship. So it was kind of essentially I was being hired on as a junior faculty member um, at a specific rate in terms of salary. And then, uh, like I said, the, the programs that I had applied to mainly were the two-year MBA, the ones that kind of had included the MBA. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a little bit different than applying to residency because there's a le little less structure to it, but it's certainly manageable in terms of um, finding the, the right programs and everything, so. 
so critical care has a screening process for applying to critical care fellowships. It is a very difficult screening process to get through. And that process is figuring out how the hell to apply. <laughs> I say that half tongue in cheek, but it is an IQ exercise and grit exercise just to figure out how to get your application in. The issue is that you can take the neuro ICU route, the surgical ICU route, the medicine ICU route, the uh, anesthesia critical care ICU route. And each of those has its own application cycle uh, and dates. Each of those has its own requirements. Each of those has its own uh, application process. And within those, oftentimes they actually have multiple application processes. For example, anesthesia is on the uh, San Francisco match, but only kind of because most programs still also keep a few slots off the match just in case they want to offer you something on um, – not under the table because it's illegal, but they keep a few extra slots in case they actually have somebody they, they, they want to give it to, oftentimes internal candidates. And uh, by the way, I'm the, the chair of that section as, as well. So I, I, I field plenty of, of questions from people and, and one in particular I'm thinking of um, this, this candidate, I, I felt so bad for him because he was in the, the match. We have the residency match, and you, you roll the dice, right? Like the match does this thing. But when you have a match along with then uh, positions on the side as well he was he was signed up for the match and then was given an option but he was given two weeks to respond and he was like do i roll the dice on on the match or do i go with this you know other place that that i'm excited about but i also had the match go and i was like that's i don't know that's a really hard decision and and uh i'm thinking this one of this has happened to several people that, I, that i've worked with so uh, if you go to our section uh, website uh, on AEM, the critical care section, uh, under uh, we actually have a tab on there just for the dates. And so we try to warn you because uh, I do not recommend applying like I did. I didn't realize until January of my second year. So that's the other issue is that anesthesia applies more than a year in advance. So I was a second year and I was coming on to my sickie rotation and just happened to be talking to fellows like, hey, yeah, you know, I really like, I like this. I like this. I'm thinking about applying. And they're like, the application closes in a week. And I was like, shit. <laughs> so uh, take a look at our deadlines. And, but see, it works out, right? Like, like so, so anyway, take a look at our deadlines. Uh, we have it all laid out in the section. And then email one of us. So no kidding. By the time I graduated, two-year fellowship, by the time I graduated, what I knew about which schools were on the match and which schools were on the side and all that, was already obsolete. So we kind of have a tag team system that every year people who go through ask us for advice and the price for advice is helping out the following year because it's, it's the best way to keep up is the people who just applied. That's a long-winded answer, but it's, it really is a problem right now. Dr. Ghazi, what's the process for um, pediatric emergency medicine? How sh should someone approach applying to that in residence? So uh, pediatric emergency medicine, um, you can get to from two specialties. One of them is pediatrics, which I will say that the bulk of our applicants are from pediatrics. More and more, I'm seeing um, applicants from emergency medicine. And the biggest difference is that if you're coming from peds, it is a three-year um, fellowship. And if you're coming from emergency medicine, is a two-year fellowship. So um, 
that's basically, those are the two tracks that you want to get into. It is a very, very competitive um, subspecialty and has always been. So I do feel fortunate. Um, the people that come to uh, do the um, rotation from an emergency medicine background, um, I feel that it makes a difference what program go, they go to versus the people from pediatrics. That really is a huge, huge factor. And I don't think that every fellowship program fits both people. And I can tell you that I say this to our residents at Stanford is that um, they have plenty of resuscitation experience. Um, I feel that they are extremely competent in emergency medicine. So if they want to do a pediatric emergency medicine fellowship, the place that best suits them is to see more bread and butter of pediatrics and a handful of very, very, very rare cases of pediatrics, right? And I would give somebody from the pediatric world very different advice. They already know the nuts and bolts of pediatrics, I hope. So what they need to do is to go to an institution that is um, just day in and day out, lots of trauma, lots of action, uh, so that they could learn emergency medicine. So um, that's pretty much how you could get into it. There's a match, obviously, and we um, are in the midst of interviewing right now. Um, the one thing that I have noticed, and I heard that, um, you know, people didn't know they were going into fellowships, et cetera. And this makes me a little bit uh, disheartened because I feel like it puts people off. But even the people that come to interview with us, I almost feel like early on they have to have a niche. And I think that's more related to um, academia. But I really don't know how many of us are working in PEM and are in non-academic places. And so that's something that makes me feel a little bit sad because I feel like community hospitals need PEM doctors. Community hospitals need really good PEM doctors. And um, most of them, or most of us are sort of in academia. And not only that, we have to have a niche within PEM. And so I just feel like I ask my, myself, when is it enough? You know, I don't know when it's enough. And, and that makes me a little bit disheartened. I feel like community could really benefit the expertise. Yeah, that's a good point. I think seeing the, pan the people that are here as medical students know that they want to do some kind of fellowship, which is nice um, for them that they're tuning in for this to get your guys' advice. Um, given that we're applying to residency right now, one of the questions that comes up is, what's the difference between going to a three-year and a four-year program? Does a four-year program kind of substitute for doing a fellowship? They say that sometimes all that elective time can kind of be a fellowship in a sense. So I know you guys all had different training, but what, what would you recommend for someone who is interested in pursuing a fellowship? What type of program should they look for? Someone who trained in a four-year and then now works at, at, as you know, core faculty, a three-year program. I don't think that it matters nearly as much as the people. I think it, time and time again, the two most important things are location. It's somewhere that you're going to be, you know, you, your family are happy at, and then that you like the people. Once you get past that piece of it, um, three and four year programs are both going to leave people really well trained. It's classically described as like the ideal length is three and a half years, right? Everyone who leaves a three year program says, I, if I just had a little bit longer and everyone who leaves a, leaves a four year program says, I was just a little too long, right? It's always grass is greener. So there's no right answer for how long it should be. Um, think, yeah, right. But I, I, I think when you look at it, you have to say, okay, if it's going to be a fourth year, what am I getting out of that, right? 
is it, is it going to give me additional elective time? Is it going to give me an ability to have a tracker or a niche in there? Or in a three-year program, am I going to have enough time to get where I want to be? Is it structured enough to get me to the path I need to be? People do fellowships out of three and four-year programs. The only issue that occasionally comes up is if you want to do a fellowship at a four-year program and you've gone to a three-year program and they don't have a community site, that's it's hard there and some programs won't take you because you can't have a, theoretically, they feel uncomfortable with a, what would be equivalency of PGY-4, a graduate of a three-year program, supervising another PGY-4 current resident. So that small niche, which is a very small number of programs, is the only time that that three or four comes up. But most of the time, they have other sites you can work at clinically, and you're still involved in resident education. So it's exceedingly rare that it comes up. That's usually the one critique that usually arises from the three versus four for fellowship. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's really well said. So I don't know that I have a, a lot to add. I, I could just say from personal experience, again, I don't know if this is right, wrong, or indifferent, but I, I went to a four-year program. I ranked three and four-year programs kind of, it's not like I put all the threes up top or all the fours up top. I mean, I just put them as how I, I liked, uh, like Mike said, the, the location and the people and how I, how, what my ranking was, you know, how I thought I would enjoy, you know, my, that program as well as, uh, you know, my education and, you know, just kind of like the general experience. So, you know, um, I kind of even forget my original rank list, but I, I, I know it, it it did not go by threes and fours or fours and threes. It was very much intermingled. Um, and I would say, you know, I, I, I kind of go back and forth because I think that extra year, um, as we've said, does, you know, uh, kind of factor into your earning potential and that type of thing. But honestly, if you get into a program that you like, and you have a career that you like and you're in the career for a long time and you could you could be happy with it you know i i don't think that extra year at the end of the day is going to necessarily uh, be the end all you know the end all be all and i think um that extra year um is not something to to necessarily fret over if you end up matching into a four-year program um you know there's plenty of opportunities a lot of programs with four years i know mine uh, let us moonlight. So I was actually able to kind of, in terms of just pure, um, you know, pure money, I was able to kind of supplement that a little bit and make it a little bit more even had I, you know, done a three year and then just like a one year, you know, work, you know, work year essentially. So, I mean, I think it depends. I think each person's different. I think you have to kind of weigh, um, you know, what that extra year means to you. But um, my advice is if you're planning on, on a, you know, a long career and, and hopefully you're happy with it, that extra year, I don't know if that I would really fret over it, to be honest with you. I, I would just try to, you know, be as happy as, as you can for as long as you can. So I know that sounds simplistic, but that's kind of how I approached it anyway. So actually the thing I thought, well, I, it probably depends on your, your, the fellowship you're talking about, but for critical care. Um, and again, I didn't even realize I was going to do this. So I just got lucky. I think the community versus academic is a more important question than the, the link. The community programs tend to be three years. And the academic ones tend to be four. I went to an academic program that happened to be three uh, in part because it was a three-year program and they're exceedingly rare. That, that was Stanford. It's now a four-year program. Um, but for my particular fellowship, we didn't teach residents in the ED. So it didn't matter if the ED was a three-year program or a four-year program. The, what mattered was whether the ICU thought you know, you were ready to, to be uh, involved in their, their care. 
And so obviously we had rotated there as residents. They had no problem with three-year programs. And most of my co-fellows came from academic programs. This is those academic programs are four. Most of my co-fellows were um, in four-year programs, which means I ended up with the same credentials that they did in five years that they did in, in six years. Um, and uh, I, I think the other thing that is perhaps more important than just, you know, three-year program, four-year program, what is it, was it two, four-year? Oh, sorry. So back up. The community versus academic, if you're thinking about critical care, then being exposed to the things you're going to see in a, a fellowship during residency is, is helpful. For example, someone was asking for advice on, on applications for a critical care fellowship who went to a community program uh, and had never seen a renal transplant patient. Well, these academic fellowships, I mean, we did ECMO, we did LVADs, we did uh, heart transplant, lung transplant, we were doing one or two hearts a week. Like that is a, not to say you can't, but that's a bigger stretch. Uh, if you've never run into transplant patients before and seen the, the nutrient feeder fevers or whatever. And the other one is just, what's your personality? I am, I am pull the bandaid fast. I wanted to get the hell out. So I did three or four. Okay, Dr. Ghazi, your turn. Um, so the one thing I do want to say is that I was sort of still wrapping my mind around fellowships, but I understand that you guys are now talking about emergency medicine residencies, correct? So um, I will say that um, when this first started at Stanford, all the people that thought they're going to graduate in three years became very disgruntled, right? And we, we worked with some people that really just felt that this is sort of being forced on them and they weren't thrilled about it, et cetera, they adapted. But I can tell you that the class that I, I'm working with currently, which is to graduate, so they are the second class that are doing a fourth year, they're sort of um, all tell me that they really are appreciating this, this supervisory role and they feel that the extra year gives them a lot more opportunity to precept than in a three-year program. For example, at the end of the three years, I asked them, uh, many of them, how they felt. And I can tell you that most of the people that are in the program now are happy to be able to be there for an extra year. One other thing that I wanna mention is that um, I do know of several programs in the country and we're one of them is that it's important um, in the future, if you guys are, have thought long and hard enough about whether or not I want to do a residence, uh, excuse me, a fellowship post uh, an EM residency. So our ultrasound program went to two years. Our EMS fellowship is now two years. Every single fellowship that the emergency department is training is two years. So if you guys are interested in, uh, you know, and a lot of people have their life planned, I, that never was the case with me. But if you want to work at Stanford and if you want to do, for example, stay in the Bay Area or do a fellowship at Stanford, please be aware that they are not looking at people that are from a three-year program period. And again, um, I don't have much to say about that when I inquired about the reason. The reason was that we are interested in training academicians and not um, community medicine, emergency medicine doctors. And so that's the answer that I got. And I really, now I don't know if it's COVID related that we've had a boom in applicants across for PEM, 
for ultrasound, you name it. You know, we thought we're not going to be able to fill the spots and it's absolutely not the case. People are here and they want to do a two year. They feel that that's going to add to their research time and they're really going to develop their name for themselves before they leave the program. I'm warming up to it. I still don't know how I feel about it, but um, this, it is what it is. That is the trend. And uh, so that's another thing for people to consider is that if, if life doesn't end after an emergency medicine residency and they wish to pursue um, a fellowship in a center that really requires a four-year um, residency training, they may be surprised if you don't know that. One of the other pieces of advice I've heard is looking, for, if you know you're looking for a fellowship, kind of look at for a program that has fellowship opportunities. And so then they know how to prepare you to have a fellowship. So if a three-year program offers fellowships through their program, they have people who can mentor you and look into giving you fellowship opportunities as well. Programs taking their own is also a very real thing. Yeah. So that makes sense. If you get to audition, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, because they just know you. I know, and especially with this whole COVID thing, I feel like we'll see regional people staying kind of regional. Hopefully COVID isn't happening in three, four years when we're all trying to get fellowships, but we will see. Um, so thinking ahead to what it looks like to be a resident, what does it look like to be a fellow? How does fellowship year differ from residency? What are your responsibilities, your role, um, and kind of the financial component also, just because we're, as Dr. Ghazi said, trying to plan our futures. So weigh in on that, please. So for ultrasound, uh, there are strict requirements how many hours you can work and as our fellows, they work uh, roughly part-time. So they were working anywhere between like, generally almost like a national average, will work between eight and nine shifts a month. So it's way less than residency. Um, but that time that gets filled in with other things that are more geared towards the fellowship. So you have scanning shifts and, you know, external reading and conference, you know, conference teaching and other things, because it really is one year that is dedicated to just becoming the expert in this arena. So I think everyone kind of, you know, goes into understanding this is going to be a year where it's going to be busy, but in a really fun way because you get to really engulf yourself with dedicated time, right? There's no other time that you would be able to be a part-time clinician and dedicate the other half of your time just to becoming the expert in this arena. And it's just built in specifically for you with all these experts that are here to just like talk with you and like say, hey, what questions do you have? Can we make sure we hit, we address these areas to go, you know, scan with you one-on-one to, you know, mentor you and watch you, watch you teach and watch you present and everything geared towards just one year of like massively you know, quick faculty or, you know, especially development. And so, you know, it's, it's a busy year, but in a really fun way. And it's often less clinical for at least for ultrasound and more kind of focused on how do you become the best sonographer and the best teacher and researcher. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, kind of hard to follow Mike. Cause I, you know, I, I completely agree. I mean, I would say, you know, when you're, you're starting your fellowship, you, essentially are a, a, you know, a junior new faculty member when you're working shifts. So I think the biggest thing for me was just to be um, you know, as excellent as I could clinically um, and you know, be a, a, you know, a, a good attending, um, you know, just try to be, um, you know, as, do as well as I could clinically um, to make sure I was providing you know, good care to patients. Um, and then beyond that, um, as, so for admin, I was also working, I think like nine shifts a month um, for, for, for my fellowship, I was actually able to, you know, add on shifts if I had the time because there wasn't any, um, 
you know, it wasn't like it was ACGME or it wasn't, you know, any particular, I mean, I was essentially hired on as a junior faculty sort of, and then kind of, um, you know, had uh, admin function and then, um, you know, my clinical role. But um, so I was able to kind of pick up some extra shifts if things came available. So I tried to kind of supplement again, my income that way as a fellow. Um, but, and then also kind of just trying to get in, involved as best you can. I mean, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, a lot of opportunity um, with our medical directors and that type of thing. And I, you know, you just try to, kind of as Mike said, try to immerse yourself as, as best you can, um, try to, you know, uh, you know, help on projects, kind of, um, you know, uh, get in on committees, that type of thing. Um, and, uh, then, you know, once my MBA started that obviously took a, a good chunk of time. Um, so that was kind of a, a lot of time that I, that I had spent as well. But, um, you know, I think overall just, you know, from what I would imagine for fellowships is, is one kind of get your clinical feet under you. I think that's important. And then two, you know, really use that extra time to kind of go headfirst into what you, you chose on doing. Um, you know, I think that's important. And then, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of try to um, become a leader in whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's ultrasound or, you know, EMS or, or whatever, so. So critical care is different again because it's the only one of the fellowships that, that really is a separate specialty. It's not spending time at ED. That said, I will, well, yeah. So I, two, two important differences. Uh, one, I was never truly delirious during an EM shift, but the shifts were long enough in the ICU that no joke, I, I hallucinated a conversation with the resident. Uh, and, and I know she wasn't lying to me because it, she, she reminded me that she was down in the ED when I thought we had a conversation. So I was so exhausted that I, I um, hallucinated a conversation we had. So that, that happened in the ICU, not in the ED. The other part, I'll, I'll answer with a, with a story. Uh, and, and I'll preface this with, I have very good relationships now with my internal medicine colleagues. Uh, the hospitals and I are friends during residency. This can sometimes be a, a, um, a, a challenging relationship as EM residents. And so, you know, I did both the residency and the IC fellowship at the same institution. And I happen to be on, scheduled to be on call as a fellow my second day of fellowship. It's my last day working in the ED I'm still trying to call and admit a patient and I'm fighting on the phone with internal medicine. And they're like, Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just emergency medicine, blah, blah, blah. Right. So now two days later, 48 hours later, I'm the ICU fellow on call. And just by answering the phone, ICU, they're like, Oh, Hey, what do you think? Uh, I'm really worried about this. Like I need your advice. And I'm like, I'm the same schmuck that like two days ago, you said, I didn't know what I was talking about. So, um, uh, at least for, for that, because it's a different specialty, I, there there is a, um, a a marked change in expectation of knowledge with this particular fellowship that uh, has been helpful. And I will say it is very easy now to, to from the ED side, um, uh, when, when people call a lot of times, like remember, or remember, of course, when you're in the ED, a lot of times the, sometimes medicine and other specialties will say, well, just, just have the ICU, you know, just have them sign off. And I'm like, no, no, I am the ICU. They're going to the floor. It's helpful. Go ahead, Dr. Ozzie. 
Hi. So um, basically, um, when people do the um, the emergency medicine track residents that do PAM um, are um, they do work outside, uh, probably, I would say an average, um, I don't know, three to four shifts a month is really what they're able to do because they seem, I'm told that the clinical load seems to be somewhat heavy. Um, I don't have much to compare it to with the other programs. Um, but if you come to do PEM from an emergency medicine um, residency background, most of the people that I've encountered, they do um, work elsewhere to a limited amount of time and most program allow that. Um, and when they do the ultrasound fellowship, um, I'm gonna echo that they usually work, um, I think I wanna say something around eight shifts as um, emergency medicine physicians that are just doing ultrasound fellowships. And so, um, and I don't think many people are gonna be interested in the PEDS track because um, I don't think the meeting sort of caters to that. But um, if anybody has any questions, how this differs in a pediatric residency coming into PEM fellowship, I'm happy to answer that if you think it's useful. Thanks so much. Um, so we have about time for just one more round of everybody talking. So um, I was just thinking maybe any advice that you have for med students approaching the residency process, thinking about fellowships, kind of maybe how to frame their answer of what they wanna do in the future um, for interviews. Any advice on uh, or final thoughts for med students? Advice is to just go with the flow. Um, you, you know, I think we all have different stories of how we thought we were gonna go one direction and then went the other way. And just being okay with that. You might find something you really like along the way. Um, and the nice thing about EM is you kind of get exposure to everything. So whether you do a fellowship or you don't, doesn't mean you can't do academics and you develop your niche without a fellowship. You could, you know, find that you initially started. We see this with, I've seen this with probably half of our residents now that started off with one fellowship idea and then did a complete 180 to totally different directions. I've had people go from ultrasound to for, uh, addiction medicine to straight academics. I've had people go the other direction as well. And it's just coming in, you may, you may have an idea going into it, but once you explore, if you find something that really is your passion and you really enjoy it, be okay with that. What we do is awesome. There's no bad options. It's just whatever, whatever you enjoy, you're gonna be doing it for a long time. So be happy with whatever you do. Yeah, I'll uh, kind of uh, build on that and, and say, yeah, I mean, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself. If you know early on what you wanna do uh, in terms of a fellowship, that's great. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, the earlier you could find a mentor and, and that stuff, it's great. But, you know, I wouldn't put any pressure on yourself if you're not sure or, you know, kind of let yourself change your mind if you want. Also, you know, if you want a three-year program, but you match in a four or vice versa, you know, um, things kind of happen the way they're meant to happen. And, you know, you you end up, you know, no matter what, you know, if you, you're persistent, no matter what you want to do, you know, you could get there as long as you're, you're persistent and work hard and, and you know are are you know kind to everyone and everything. So um, you know things will eventually work out. I mean, not any one thing is a you know death nail. So you know if, if you're not if you don't match into the program that you thought you would, or you know something kind of changes uh, again, just kind of do the best you can, take it one day at a time. And you know I think eventually you get there. Um, but it, you know it's important just to kind of stick with everything and you know let um, you know. Uh, Kind of follow follow your passion, and if you're really passionate about something, I mean, I think that's 
that's best case scenario because you can, you know, really find a, a great niche in emergency medicine. And also, you know, if you uh, want to be a community doc or want to work in academics, but not necessarily have a niche, that's great too. So, I mean, there's no, there's no one way to do it. You know, you, there's, there's uh, you know, as long as you're happy with your career, that's the most important thing. So don't, don't put external pressure on yourself to, to fill certain shoes that you thought you were going to fill. But, you know, in the end, it's kind of like, you know, when I went into med school thinking I was going to be a surgeon, you know, I, I'm not a surgeon, but I'm, I'm really happy with my career. So I'm not, I, I think, you know, just kind of follow, follow your passion. I'll piggyback uh, for a second on, on what uh, Phil said. I think he brings a very good point about finding a mentor early. And I'd piggyback with, there's no such thing as the perfect mentor. You're just not going to find this person. Find a bunch, right? I have, I have actually one of my closest mentors is a radiologist, right? But this is the person who's guided me on academic trajectory. Find, find multiple mentors. They can have different strengths and different weaknesses. You can learn from all of them. Um, yeah, find multiple ones. The, the other thing I wanted to bring up delicately was um, there's an elephant in the room and being involved AEM, you're going to, this is an organization that is acutely aware of this and trying to ensure um, uh, that emergency physicians are involved in emergency care, whether that's with additional fellowship or not. Um, there is a funnel in academic medicine, you go to undergrad, you're pre-med, you do med school, and there's just, you get inside of an academic bubble where it's always just, well, I'm going to get this extra bit of education. I'm going to go get this master's. And I'm saying this, right, as someone who has master's, but it's easy to get caught in this funnel of, I need this extra preparation. I need this extra preparation. And you need to know up front that in more than half the states, there are people who will be doing the same job as you without doing all this extra time. And that's just a reality of things. So I would encourage you that as you're thinking about residency and fellowship and, and all that, and obviously you're headed down this residency pathway to emergency medicine is a great place to be. Um, try to take a step out of the academic bubble a bit and develop some mentors outside. If, you're, if your uh, med school has a community site that you go to or whatever, and get a sense of the world outside of that ivory tower because there you're going to have to build yourself a niche but the value of that niche is going to be very different in a community hospital than it will in an academic hospital don't just do something else because you feel like you need to have more education education is great and it's highly valued inside the ivory tower but what other thing you you want to get into to that makes you happy and also makes you valuable is not the same in the community as it is in academia. And I say that as someone who has worked in both settings. So th th think about it. It's not for everybody. Obviously, we're, we all did this. So I encourage you, you know, if you're interested, you should totally do a fellowship. Um, but get a wide range of, uh, of ideas and opinions. Dr. Ghazi. So the theme that I heard really amongst all of us is I cannot emphasize mentorship enough. And I do think that your mentors need to be different people in different institutions, because if you go for the guy that's working on their grant to become the next, I don't know what, you're going to get very different advice. than if you go to the community doctor working 
um, and maybe even moonlighting in different places and has some, you know, low resource areas that they're, they're providing service for. So I think it's really important to get mentors to firsthand get to know their lifestyle and really, um, you know, ask them about their uh, pleasures and displeasures of their lives because wellness is super important and you can go into this career thinking that it'll be great. The, the, the guys that are your mentor are fantastically happy, but their personality may be very different than yours. So I would start that process early. I will say that um, I've been interviewing people for a long time and I love getting to know them. Even if they don't go to my program, I stay in touch with them. But um, when somebody does come to me to interview for fellowship, for PEM, it is impressive if they've done work and sort of have an idea of where they're, where they're going. So um, having said what I just said, if you don't have a niche and you want to do PEM and you want to go community, be okay with that, right? Because it's your life and you'll only know if um, you have mentors outside of the academia telling you that. And firsthand, you know your personality and you know your mentor's personality so that you can make a really um, informed decision. And that's that's the best thing I could say to the candidates is stay true to yourself and pay attention to your wellness and get your mentors early. Well, thank you all so much for participating tonight and um, sharing your emails. Our panelists or our participants, you can reach out to these docs if you have extra questions or anything else. Um, that's it for tonight. So look out for more RSA Mondays coming to you in the future. And thank you. Have a great night. Good luck, everyone, in the interview season. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast brought to you by the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about AAEM RSA, visit the website at www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.